0: This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hello
1: and welcome back to another episode of HR in Review. I'm Melia Brand, your host for today. And in this episode, we're talking about financial well-being, exploring what role managers have in ensuring the financial well-being of their employees, as well as trying to understand why the topic is still so taboo. My guest for today is Ruth Hancock, the CEO of Octopus Money, a money advice brand for everyone. For her first five years as part of the Octopus Group, she was CEO at Octopus Investments, an asset manager with £13 billion under management. Hi Ruth, welcome. It's great to have you on the HR in Review podcast today. How are you? Very well, thanks for having me. Firstly then, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Yeah, so I'm Ruth. I run a business called Octopus
2: Money um, and Octopus Money is on a mission to give every employee help with their money from a real person. So we work with loads and loads of HR and people teams um, to deliver Octopus Money as a benefit uh, my background's quite varied, though. I've worked in financial services for about the last 10 years. I started a bank. I used to run Octopus Investments, which is mm. another business within the group. And then before that, I've done all sorts of things. I've worked in West Africa. I worked for Tony Blair for a little bit and I was a management consultant for a while. So I've often been in the shoes of people running teams um, and running businesses. So I so understand a little bit of what that's like
1: great so today we're talking about financial well-being which obviously given your credentials you are an expert on um you know i first heard you speak on financial well-being on a panel earlier this year actually i think it was just a few months ago uh, at the mad world summit where you also gave some really interesting predictions about how the next year looks so i guess to kick off our conversation then could you define what financial well-being actually means you know how far does it go? Does, does talking about employees' financial wellbeing extend far beyond the walls of the workplace, perhaps? Yeah, it's a great question, because I think people
2: often conflate financial wellbeing with financial education, and I think they're actually quite different. So for me, financial wellbeing starts with how someone feels about their money. And money is one of those strange things that we interact with every day in every aspect of our life. Yet when you really dr- dig into how people feel about their money, they feel scared they feel confused they feel stressed but equally they often feel this sense of sort of shame of i feel like i should be on top of this
0: and mm-hmm. i'm not
2: and i don't know who to ask so for me the definition of financial well-being is how do you get people past those feelings how do you get people to the stage where they really understand and really feel comfortable talking and thinking about their money. And that extends far beyond the workplace. But we can't ignore the fact that for most people, the workplace is their anchor, is where their salary comes from. It's normally who provides their pension. So it creates a really great opportunity to get people comfortable from the place where actually money probably has the the biggest impact on their lives.
1: Mm, That's actually really interesting, especially when you consider it in the present day, where it really feels like we're entering a new wave of the cost of living crisis. Um, so what impact are you seeing this have on employers and employees as well yeah and I I, I
2: really hate that I'm often the voice of doom on this so I think we see the the cost of living crisis on the front page a little less than we did maybe a year ago but I do think the worst is yet to come because you know the average worker is predicted to be about a thousand pounds a year worse off this year than they were last we know that mortgages are going up by 61%. We know that rents are doubling. We know that about a third of employees, astonishingly, are thinking of stopping or reducing their pension contributions. And, and that's sort of very logical when things are squeezed, but it's still a terrifying statistic. So what what does that mean for employers? It means people are worrying. And if you really boil that down for an employer, that's about productivity. So we found... When we rolled Octopus Money out at Octopus Investments, which is about 800 people, about 79% of people said there were times when they couldn't concentrate on work because they were so worried about their money. So, you know, imagine it, amplify that up by employees in the UK and you realise how much focus we're losing um, from people worrying about this. It's also true that people are job hunting purely for the sake of salary more than they ever have before. And that's a great shame because it's probably your talented people that are going to get a new job first. And if 55% of people are salary hunting just because they need more money in their paycheck every month, that could be a real drain on talent for your organisation.
1: I mean, I live in London. I certainly feel that the rents are rising. <laughs> um... But, you know, you said the worst is yet to come. And, you know, if that many people are salary hunting, is it enough to just raise salaries then? Or is there more that needs to be done, perhaps?
2: Oh, and I mean, I think if we all had magic money trees, it would be lovely to to yeah. raise salaries by 10 or 12 percent, which is, I think, what's needed really to um, to make a, the difference that employees would need. Um, and we all know that that's not feasible for most or indeed any employers. I do think Mm. there's another point though, which is you've got to move the conversation past this being purely about my costs are going up, therefore my salary should go up. Because to me that creates a relationship between the employer and the employee that's very transactional. Mm. If I deliver a service, you pay me for it. And most business leaders I speak to don't want that to be the relationship they have with their employees. They want employees to feel like they're part of something, like they're delivering a mission like they're a they're part of a family or a team and that's not simply an exchange of money for services that's something bigger and that's where benefits come in and you know I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted for lots of listeners here but that's where I think we need to really focus on what are the things you can do to ease this pain and it really is painful for people that goes beyond salary so you know, whether that's something as straightforward, say straightforward because it's um, straightforward benefit, whether that's something like pension, which is you ease the stress of people's long term finances, mm. or whether it's more about well-being, which is how can you change the way people feel about their money, but then fundamentally how they use their money, um, which I think we will all inescapably have to do because salary rises across um, the UK are not going to match inflation and um, so, so there have got to be other answers. And I think moving the conversation beyond salary is, is really critical.
1: I mean, you touched there on how line managers and employers can ensure they're not too transactional with the offer of help they're giving. But what kind of responsibility, regardless of you know, what they do, what kind of responsibility do you think line managers and employers have in actually talking about financial well wellbeing um, with their employees?
0: Follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you.
2: So I think they have quite a significant responsibility and, and there's a key thing that's changed that I don't think um, gets talked about enough, certainly not in the national press, which is pensions have changed beyond recognition over the last 10 or 15 years so we've gone from a, um, a situation where for most people their employer took care of their pension for them and they retired on a percentage of their final salary that is not the situation we live in anymore people live off the contributions they make to their pensions mm. and yet many of the people i speak to don't know what a pension is have no idea how much they're contributing don't know where their old pots are and have no idea what that means for their retirement. And yet the pension landscape has changed such that all of that responsibility sits on the individual. Mm. Now, one of the changes we've made is we've said, well, employers have to enroll people. That's great. But I think just saying employers have to enroll people without putting something alongside that to say, and this is how you understand what that auto-enrollment means, and this is how you understand the choices that you therefore have to make as an individual I think is we've only solved half the problem. I think something has to sit alongside that that simply explains to employees what does all this mean. And that I mean that's just one narrow slice of people's money, but it's certainly changed considerably um over the past few years. More broadly, we just have to recognise that um that if people um, if employees don't understand either their money or the benefits that um, employers go to great lengths to offer them. I often use the analogy that it's like, you know, kitting out a gym, but not showing someone how to use all the equipment. There's no personal yeah. trainer there. That to me is what um, certainly we at, we at Octopus Money deliver through coaches, which is just just explain to me what all this all this yeah. means. That's very, very hard for line managers and HR teams to do on their own because they're not specialists in it so they're getting all the questions but I've not come across many who feel completely equipped to answer that because it's specialised and it's complicated and everyone's situation is different
1: Um, so help is needed in my view. I mean, you touched on pensions there. So let's just quickly go back to that for a second, because you spoke about how important they are. Um, However, you know, a pensions crisis is really looming. People are, you know, cutting or even stopping their contributions. Um, So given how important they are, why do you think this is? And what can we do about it? I mean, I think it's, um, for many people,
2: it feels like the only choice they've got. And, Mm. um, And if it's the only choice you've got, then not contributing to your pension may well be the right answer for you. So we can't be too paternalistic about this and say, you know, that is the wrong answer for everyone. For some people right now, with the cost of living as it is, it will feel essential. That said, I think what many people making that decision um, don't understand is what they're giving up. So if if your employer matches a pension and you're not taking up that matching, not only are you not sort of doubling your money you're not getting the tax relief either so about a thousand pounds into your pension could be worth more like three thousand pounds to you in a um in the long term um versus taking that thousand pounds in in cash today if people were equipped with that information they'd at least be making that decision on an informed basis and i believe today people are making that decision on an ill-informed basis and not understanding what they're giving up. If they still decide to make that decision, you know, we're we're living in an age of individual responsibility, so that's someone's decision to make. But I think employers have a responsibility to make sure that decision is informed while recognising that most people won't feel comfortable saying, I don't get this Mm. in a pension seminar, um, because it doesn't make sense to them in the context of their personal situation um, but I think it's important that people understand what it means for them and then make then make the right choice.
1: I guess it's all about creating this safe space, isn't it, where people can feel, you know, they can talk about these these problems and also say they don't really know. You know, not everyone knows all these about all these complex, um, you know, topics. Yeah. Um, kind of moving away from the cost of living crisis then and pensions let's talk about how financial well-being is actually spoken about um, by itself because you know I think we've made good progress in how we talk about mental health at work but as you said
0: earlier financial well-being still quite a taboo um why do you think this is? Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR and Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast.
2: It's a great question. I spend a lot of time um, puzzling about that myself because I, what I'm hoping to see over the coming years is as much comfort about um, financial well-being as we've seen over... Um, mental well-being over the last three or four years. Like I think we're at the beginning of that trend for financial. I think there's definitely a cultural thing, in that we, you know, f- talking about money has often been conflated with people showing off. Um, so we just don't talk about money at all. Where actually, for most people, money is now not something they want to talk about because they want to show off. Money, is something they want to talk about because they're scared and they're frightened and, and they don't understand. So I've seen people try and kind of break this taboo in some really interesting ways. Clearly at Octopus Money, we have a methodology where we pair employees with coaches one-to-one creates that safe space. It's incredibly powerful, but there are other ways. I've seen people set up kind of supper clubs of um, people who say, right, I want to learn from other people what they do. Let's just talk about it. Let's see if we can break that taboo um, and get peers together to do that I think there are so many parallels with mental health that the number one is feel okay talking about it right now people only feel okay talking about it in my experience one-to-one with someone who doesn't work in their organization um which is where octopus money plays but but I hope we get past that to the point where people can do just as they do with mental health which say I'm not feeling okay about this um I need some help but we were at the start of that journey I think
1: Mm, I mean when we're talking about this my my mind immediately goes to remote workers um do you think remote workers may feel even more isolated with their financial worries than someone who works even in a hybrid fashion or goes into the office every day um if they're not seeking external help um you know they're looking to talk about their financial worries within the organization do you think it has an impact on remote workers more or I think
2: it definitely impacts remote workers i don't know whether I believe it's more because I think everyone even if you're in an office isn't talking about it. So I think you feel pretty isolated, almost regardless. Um, That said, I've definitely seen some feedback from some of our customers that really pinpoint isolation and feeling alone as the key reason that they want to work with us. So I remember reading one from someone who was at a point in their life where they were single, they didn't have parents they could ask, they didn't feel comfortable talking to their friends about it. So actually their feedback after coaching was, It's just the first person I've been able to have this conversation with. Maybe if you're in an office, you might you might find that person sooner amongst your peer group than if you're remote working. But if I'm completely honest, I think there are many, many, many people, regardless of working patterns, that feel completely alone with this topic.
1: Mm. well it's been really interesting to talk to you um, about this ruth but before you go i just have two more questions uh, before we wrap up for today uh, which we ask all of our guests on the hr in review podcast um so if you could pass on one crucial lesson you've learned in your career in one minute or less what would be your top tip for other hr pros so my um my
2: tip and and it won't be new to many people is simply to listen. If I've learned one thing in my career, it's that, um, and, and this is true of money as well, people want to be heard and people feel more able to contribute to an organisation if they feel part of it and listen to. So it's what I always tell myself is if I come out of, say, a one-to-one meeting and I've talked for more than 20% of the time and it's someone I'm managing, that was not a great one-to-one for them. Um mm-hmm. so
1: listen. That's my that's my tip. Rates. Um, and lastly then, what do you think the single biggest changes that will happen in HR over the next five to ten years?
2: Oh, you know, I'm completely I'm completely biased on this one. So I, I think we are entering an era where employers will recognise the power and the opportunity. They have to transform people's lives by helping them get to grips with their money. They've done it with mental health and it's been phenomenal to watch. Um, The next five or 10 years are going to be about doing that with money, in my view.
1: Yeah, tackling the financial worries part of life. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Ruth. It was really great to have you on. Thanks ever so
0: much. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.